think businesses should think very carefully about using it to actually alter the value that they as a business add because it could end up taking them down a path that they don't necessarily want to go down, particularly with so much unknown about where it's going and what the big AI firms might do. There's a bit of a technological war going on really on either side in terms of the more tools and, and technology that employers can adapt to deal with the higher volume of applicants, but at the same time, applicants are also getting their, their hands on tech that helps them you know, apply for many, many more roles in, in, in a more impressive way. Hello, and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Adam Schultzen, and in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Craig Humphrey. Craig's the VP of Finance and Operations at Arctic Shores, a company specializing in technology-driven behavior-based assessments to help businesses identify top talent. Craig started his career in audit, and prior to joining Arctic Shores, held senior group finance positions amongst a number of leading tech firms. When he's not working, Craig enjoys spending time with his three-year-old twins and loves a good barbecue. <laughs> but before we start, if you like what you hear today, please make sure to subscribe to Tech for Finance on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. But thanks for coming along today, Craig. Enjoy it. No problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. So we had a catch-up. It was probably a, a few weeks ago um, in your snazzy offices in Manchester over a coffee. That was, that was quite good. I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We just moved to Blackfriars house. It's uh, nice. We really like our new home. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, but of course you, you guys are, I mean, I suppose you're still, cla- are you still class the startup or are you getting a bit past that now? I think, I think we say scale up. We've, you know, we like to think we've hit product market fit and it's, it's all about how we can now start to scale everything up. So I think we prefer scale up, but I think your, your definition of startups quite wide open, isn't it? Really? I, I think I remember recently. Uber, Uber still call themselves a startup, so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll go with scale up, shall we? Yeah, and that's good. And and for for our American listeners, and um, there, there was a, a recent, uh, I think it was an article that you shared, Craig, wasn't it, about Manchester, which is where we're based, being one of the the fastest growing tech hubs in the UK, past London. Yeah, I mean, I think it it, it starts with the money. I mean, there's been a there has been a, an uptick in the amount of particularly venture capital um, in the in the area. I think if you speak to some of the leading VCs, such as Pretoria, for example, who have recently invested in us, there's still a bit of a a, 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 a gap between what's the, the level of investment per company or per person outside of London uh, versus in it. So I still think there's some catching up to do, but it's um, just seems to see really exciting businesses just springing up almost on a daily basis, not just in Manchester, but in in uh, plenty of the other northwest cities so yeah it's an exciting place to be uh really feeling the the pull into london anytime soon i say it's, it's still a bit cheaper than london as well for now Indeed. yeah uh, very good so i just wanted i wanted to chat a little bit about um i won't necessarily t- say time management but of course as, as you appreciate the you know 99 percent of my audience is finance professionals right and um, so your title is VP of finance and operations, which means that you wear quite a lot of hats. Yeah. Is that easy? And, and I say that looking at your, your experience. So, so your experience is predominantly finance focused, right? So what's it been like, you know, widening or broadening your horizons, as you say, and, and trying to bridge the gap between finance and other areas of the business? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, previous to, to my current. Position, I've really been focused purely in the finance area and finance and accounts departments. 
um, sort of health finance manager roles, but again, just working mostly with other people in other other finance positions, whether that, that's treasury or reporting. Um, and so I joined Arctic Shores about four and a half years ago and came into my first um, the number one finance position initially as financial controller and uh, helping build out just the finance function. But through the course of the, the growth of the company, um, about a year ago, took a leadership role that incorporated more responsibility for some of the other back office functions. So it's your HR, um, IT, legal, a bit of data and biz ops. So a bit more of a broad range, really. Um, and so it ha- does have a big, big impact on the, uh, the, the day-to-day job. Um, I suppose, you know, num- number one question to be answered was, well, how is the finance team going to keep running day-to-day when there's so much else um, to, to look after? So um, actually one of the, the critical things for me was to find a really strong number two. Um, so uh, obviously I'm sure we'll, we'll touch more on, on building teams, but that, that was one that we just couldn't get away from, um, which is, I really would be letting the, the, the team down if I tried to spread myself that thin, that there just wasn't anybody there. So that was a really critical thing for us. And thankfully we have got a really strong finance manager in place to help do a lot of the, the, the day-to-day bits. Um, but we still work incredibly closely as a team because we're just not a big, a big function. Um, there's seven of us in, in, in ops generally of which, um, two, two of the people in, in my team of finance, not including myself. Um, it, to answer your original question, um, it's not easy. It is, it is very difficult, um, but it's just so, um, valuable and useful to wear those different hats. Um, you do find yourself naturally over your finance career, seeing things through that, that single lens, um, particularly around cost control and investment appraisal. But especially if we're working for a, you know, a small people-based business, such as a, a, a SaaS tech company that I work for now, is there's just so much nuance around a lot of the business decisions that happen. Um, and as much as you'd like everything to be a black and white financial decision, that is one big factor, but there's just so much else at play. And being able to work so closely with other uh, support functions, like I said, including HR, helps you just see it through so many different colored lenses. Um, and it really does make the uh, the conversations with leadership and the board much more well-informed and balanced um, and just shows that you've really looked at it from, from other aspects. Um, obviously, every every business is different, but as I said, we're, we're a people business. So um, I think of our, our HR team, I mean, you know, traditional thinking 20 years ago might have been that finance and HR are sort of natural enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, HR just want to constantly invest in the team and finance might be wanting to keep costs down and say no. But actually, if you have got a people-based business, they are completely, completely aligned or should be in that, you know, you've got to keep investing in your team because that's, that's the asset that you've got. So they can be, you know, mutual, um, and, and in agreement. Um, and the, the other functions that I look after, um, it's great that we've got that single focus of leadership because it does enable us to make sure that everybody's goals and key results are all aligned, which we, we like to set every quarter to make sure that everybody's priorities are all focused, not just on our departmental objectives as the, as a team, but also for the wider business. So it's great for alignment as well. And what does that, what does that quarterly review look like? Is it, is it a face-to-face meeting when you sit down? Do you, do you have like a, a templated like workbook that you work through or? Um, bit of both really. So we do make good use of tech. Um, we, uh, lean quite heavily on our HR system. So we use Bob or hi Bob, 
um, as our HRIS. I mean, I'm necessarily advocating that it's, it's great. There's others out there. That's the one we happen to use. Um, but it helps, it helps give a lot of structure, um, to things like our quarterly performance review, our goal setting. Um, it does an awful lot, um, for, for people management. Um, we could still use a bit more of it, but we've have leveraged it quite a lot. So that will help things like, um, we can all use it to enter our individual goals. We can use our team goals and we can tag them to make sure that they're all aligned to the strategic pillars of the business. Uh, and then in terms of reviewing them, what we actually like to do is get together in person um, on a function by function basis. So I'll get our ops team together, those different departments, and we'll kind of do a bit of a presentation to ourselves as a team to say, here's how the course has just gone. Here's what our OKRs were and here's how we did. And then here's a summary of, of how we're going to take those into the next quarter and what else we're going we're to look at doing. Um, so we do try to sort of get ourselves together in person at least once a quarter. Um, but we are a, you know, a primarily remote, remote team. So we do have to leverage tech as, as much as we can. Is it, do, do I remember you saying it's Slack that you use? Uh, primarily for day-to-day -day comms. Yes. And um, the whole business is on Slack. We've kind of been on it for as long as I can remember, really. One of those sticky SaaS products that once a few people get, get using it, it, it yeah. grows virally. So yeah, we, we took a, we took a business license out. Um, even though our, our sort of day-to-day -day business, uh, enterprise software is really the G suite and we just find for sort of instant messaging and groups and channels, uh, Slack's just one of those things that once, you, once you get used to it as a team, you just can't live without it. Um, it's just so reliable. It's, we've all got the, um, the separate app downloaded as opposed to the browser. So it's just there and it's just mm -hmm. always on and always works. But we have other teams outside of our, our ops function that will just got a, a feature called a huddle where you can basically open up a call and people can just dip in and out of it. And some teams will just leave that open all day. So they'll just be happily working in their home office on their own. They can hear their entire team just having a conversation throughout the day whilst they're doing it. Um, so yeah, we've, we make good use of it. I think find it really, really easy to use. That's, that's really interesting. And um, I think, well, I think in, in in tips that we use teams, I, I use Slack, but more for like, um, community and personal stuff out, outside work. So unlike you guys, you know, we're Microsoft suite, not, not too sweet, but we don't need to get into a Batman, which is best because there's obviously pros and cons for each, right. But I've not, apart from the meet now in teams, I don't think there's an official like huddle type type thing, right? but it's an interesting concept because I mean, quite a lot of my background is, is, is sales as, as you know, and the, with sales comes sort of an element of camaraderie, you know, especially when it comes to the outbound side of things, you know, making calls, you know, getting that. It's always one of the biggest struggles is, you know, the, the part of the job that people don't really enjoy and the, and the way that people get around that is by feeling though they're as part of the team. But then of course we end up in this remote based culture where you've got people like having to psych themselves up from home. And, and I did often play with you know, encouraging the, the team with maybe just have an open, open teams call, like even if it's just one-to-one -one with somebody else that you nominate as your, as your partner, for example, it never materialized. Um, but it's got the call to work wearing again. I don't think I'll manage to business to migrate to Slack, but I think it's just one of those strings to the bow that makes that remote work piece a bit easier. I think in terms of the, the adoption, there is a, there is a phase to get through where people need to experience it and see how, how great it is. And then as long as the solution itself is, is good enough, it's, you kind of have that eureka moment, you know, a bit like the first time you got an Uber, you're just like, that's it now. Um, but 
uh, you know, something like like the the use of the Slack cuddles and the channels is it's just a really great way of being able to just quickly ask somebody a quick question and not have to think right. Let's go and look at their calendar. When are they free? So I can ask them that that thing. It does it does try to replicate that feeling of I'm at work with my team. It's not the same, obviously. Sometimes you can't just be sticking your head over your monitor and just just and bugging someone there and then. But you know, technology's progressing in that in that respect every day. Um, I think Slack are doing a pretty decent job actually of bolting on those extra features. They do seem to be listening to to customer feedback quite well and thinking about what are the little bits and pieces around the comms that could really make the difference. Um, but we, yeah, it's something we think about all the time, which is when we went to a remote world, gen- basically po- post-COVID, um, we we took the decision as a business that we were going to follow a, a hybrid model. Um, so we do have office space that, that staff can make use of. But again, it's completely flexible and everyone's able to choose whether they, how much time they want to spend in the office. And um, we do see the value of, of meetups. And so we do, you know, we do have hopes and regular ones, as I mentioned, the quarterly catch up that we do as a team and we have a business quarterly, um, but it comes with its, its pros and cons. I think we, there's a large consensus with our team that individually, we all feel very, very productive. Um, but when we look at it from a, from a leadership perspective, I'm always sort of asking the question, do we feel that as a, as a team or as teams or even as an organization? are we still maintaining that efficiency? You know, how easy is it to just get one small task done that involves collaborating with seven or eight people? Um, and, and are we being slowed down by the fact that you do have to perhaps look at that calendar and think, right, when can I get these four people on a call? Oh, not for another three weeks. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so wherever these, these tools come in and, and help break down those barriers is obviously, uh, obviously great. So we're always on the lookout for new, new things and plenty of uh, AI-based tools that we're starting to, to look at. Somebody just the other day was asking me about one for, um, I think it's sort of note-taking and action actioning out of that meeting. It's called Otter AI. So that's yeah. another one we're, we're having a little toy around with at the moment. We're very open as a business to, to looking at tech for new and exciting ways of, uh, of making life easier. Yeah, Otter's great. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a heavy user of, of Otter. And then... I've been using something called Fireflies recently, which okay. is like the, like the bug, exactly the same spelling, fireflies.ai. And it's, and it's the same premise. And I think what, what they all do is they take the, um, the open AI whisper API. And I think that's predominantly what people use, which is basically the voice recognition. And they do clever things with it because as standards, the, the whisper API, it won't give you speaker labels, for example. So when you're producing a transcript, you know, you can't get that from it. So that's where we've got this new wave of all of these, you know, meeting tra- transcription service coming in. And um, we're keen to just extend Microsoft Teams because Teams premium with their open AI relationship is going to enable just that, you know, transcripts and then Q&A the transcript. The only thing that I found, and, and I think it's great, you know, even if you can't Q&A the transcript to say, you know, pull out the highlights or tell me what the next actions are, there is still value in you being able to focus on not making notes and having more of that human conversation. So even if you just got the transcript in raw text, you know, it's better than having to, to type notes as you're speaking to somebody. So yeah, Otter, you know, we, we've had that mentioned quite a lot on the podcast. So I'd say it's just as good as any. I've always struggled with note taking in meetings, to be honest. I mean, not, not least because I can't really do two things at once. I'm either talking or listening and that's what's what I focus on. Uh, but if I take sort of traditional handwritten notes, um, they often go into a notepad and I probably don't see them again. 
But on the other side, if I try and take my notes on my laptop, it's not giving us a great look in the meeting, which is, what are you doing? Are you actually listening? And it's like, yeah, I am. I'm taking notes, but it doesn't look like I'm engaged. So yeah. any, anything that can, uh, you know, provide an alternative is something I'm always interested in. I, I think it, I think it's one of the, the quickest wins. And, and of course, you and I have spoken about ChatGPT. Um, and we've got a, a question topic coming up on that. But a lot of people are still figuring out what the use cases are. And, and, and it's difficult because with everybody on LinkedIn saying, if you're not investing in AI, you're falling behind. It's very difficult not to be psychologically and emotionally drawn into that. But, and it's, it's not quite out yet. It will be by the time this comes out. But I had a, an AI roundtable discussion with uh, three other people um, that we'd had on the podcast before. And one of the subjects of conversation is, yeah, it's, it's great to have all these clever AI tools, but they are just tools at the end of the day. And it shouldn't change your process of looking at what do we want the end goal to be? Because I think at the moment, a lot of people are trying to re-engineer their process around an AI tool just because it exists rather than doing what they should be doing, which is looking at the outcomes and working back from there. But that use case that you just mentioned there is, is such a quick win. You know, if you can have like, um, using the Fireflies example, you just invite Fred at Fireflies or, along to your meeting and that's, that's your AI bot, right? It's so simple to, to get that real value. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the, the old Steve Jobs quote, which is, you know, don't focus on the technology, focus on the problem. Um, I think there's a bit, we're going to go through this initial phase of, ooh, what can it do? Isn't that clever? And, and once we've got over that and we've had our fun, it's then going to be, okay, well, what is the actual pain that we're suffering and, and how do we, we gear the technology around solving that as opposed to what's it capable of? Um, but it's, it's just, it's such a disruptive, exciting piece of tech that it's hard not to sort of get curious. We just had our, our own company, um, chat GPT show and tell session last week yeah. where everybody was just encouraged to do a bit of a, you know, a bit of a lightning format, five, five, 10 minutes on what could you get it to do? Yeah. Um, so that was a really great, uh, great way for us to all start talking about it, but it also helped us help steer our thinking really in, into the next steps. Okay. We've got to actually be very rigorous about where and how we, we want to apply this. Um, and I think businesses should think very carefully about using it to actually alter the value that they as a business add um, because it could end up taking them down a, a path that they don't necessarily want to go down, particularly with so much un unknown about where it's going and what, you know, the, the big AI firms might do. Um, for me at the minute, short term, it's, it's those quick wins of, okay, is it just an annoying manual task there that AI could just do in a, in a much better way at the minute, it seems to be lots of them. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, it's slightly different to, to, to finance. Um, I mean, I've, I've got, uh, I use notion for, for my note taking it. Everybody knows this because I don't stop banging on about it. Right. I've got, um, a notion database that I just put in whatever tools I see come up in my feed or that I find on online. And it's cool because I can, I can tag them. I can say, oh, the use case for this is transcription or the use case for this is that. And that's kind of reduced my overwhelm because instead of me thinking, oh, that looked really cool. I need to investigate it now. It's in the database and I just filter when I've got 30 minutes and say, oh, what, what do I want to have a play around with now? Right. So that's, that made it a lot bit more logical for me, but there are some, there are some companies that are going all in on AI, right. And, and, and I'll use a, a, an example that, as I say, isn't finance, but, um, I won't name the products because I think there's, there's a bit of a stir that's being caused by it anyway, but essentially it's, um, it's a content writing platform. Yeah. Cause of course what. 
one of the primary use cases for ChatGPT when it came out is you don't have to write content anymore. Just give it a brief and it will write it for you. Now, of course, all of these SaaS companies have latched onto that and said, right, well, you know, how do we make money from this? You know, and the, the big thing at the moment is Google is still playing up with its spam algorithms, still playing catch up. So previously, you know, if you were writing rubbish content and you were duplicating, you know, you, you got, you'd be shunted down the Google rankings because, you know, but because Google haven't quite caught up with what is and isn't bot generated content, there are companies that are saying, right, well, we can get a platform to generate hundreds of blog articles for your website in minutes, and that's going to boost your SEO rankings or whatever. And right now there's no issue with that. And it comes back to your point about, you know, we don't know what's coming up. You know, if I've just invested however many thousands of pounds in an AI tool that's basically created a website for me with a thousand blog posts that Google then catches on to say, oh, we know that those thousand blog posts have been bot generated. We're going to immediately squash your rankings. What happens there? You know, so I think the approach technically is the right approach of, you know, what are the quick wins, you know, what are the efficiency improvements that are going to add up to the bigger wins rather than totally reinventing the wheel? Because I think there's a risk there. It might not have done. They might get away with it. Do you know what I mean? But you've got to look at things objectively. Yeah, I think the, the, the content question is going to be a really interesting one. It's not just blog posts and written text. It's also going to be the image generation and video video content. And in a world of where, you know, all unlimited content can just be generated instantly, what is it people are going to want to consume? Do you want to read a blog post that's not written by a person? Maybe. How are you going to make it enough? You know, and, and it, so, so released podcast today with saying John Ladaga, who's a founder of a, a, a solution with Sturpy. I think you're probably a bit past it. It's kind of uh, financial modeling for, for startups, your scale up. So we're pretty on that category. And, um, but we were talking about that, that human element, you know, and, and I think we use the example of music, you know, people tend to like music where they can they can spot the odd error and it's it's kind of the inconsistencies and it's the dirtiness of some tracks that you really like it's not all yeah. clean and polished and i think we might move that with with content it's kind of like you, you get to the point where you're trying to spot the grammatical errors and the you know the way that people speak because that's the only way that you know that it's not been generated by a bot unless the bots then start deliberately generating grammatically incorrect content to try and fool people and again you know it's We'd have to go down that rabbit hole, right? never-ending cycle. There we go. So the, the only last question before we move on to, to talking more over the, the, the talent acquisition um, and the HR piece that, that you guys do well is coming back to you, your role spanning multiple departments, right? Because I've had more conversations now about data-driven decisions and about finance taking more ownership over data. And... There is some data that's obviously quantifiable, you know, uh, that we have really detailed metrics for and some that we don't. So coming back to your point about, right, well, how do we gauge level of pro productivity working remotely? You know, there's only so many stats you'll get out the back of Slack or Teams that will say, you know, time on calls and number of emails sent or number of messages sent. It doesn't really add up to the overall sentiment. It can kind of, I suppose, gauge a base sentiment, but you're not going to hang your hat on it really. Versus the other stats that you're getting from your accounting software, you know, relating to your recurring revenue figures and, and that sort of stuff. So the short question is, how important is data for you as somebody who wears multiple hats? And second question to that is, what's the level of accuracy that you need to be able to make decent decisions that you can hang your hat on? Yeah, I mean... Um... 
the, the answer to the first question is data is incredibly important. We are becoming, you know, a much more data-driven uh, business world. Um, any company that's not thinking like that, I think it's going to be going to be left behind. Mm. One of the challenges is sometimes having too much data. Um, I mean, we, you know, we, we, we try and buy into mantras like, you know, measure ma what matters. Um, and one of the, one of the key skills that, that I'm certainly trying to drive in our finance team is actually helping our, our colleagues in other teams understand what's data that, you know, you've got access to and look great, but actually isn't telling us much versus what's the data that we don't have, which we really should, because that's what's more important. Um, and, you know, we live in a world where data is just piling up and piling up, we, we dump it all into our, our data lake in Snowflake, and then we try and make sense of it in various different ways. Um, because, you know, we've got, you know, we have got a small team, we've got people who are very focused and expert in what they do. And it might, that, that might not be pouring through their CRM, if it's that or their, or their other platform to understand how to export and, and manipulate data. So I think for a business of a certain size where you don't have the potentially the resource to invest in a, you know, a data science team who can do this as a shop, we do have to be able to acquire those skills and, and support the team doing that. Um, I think in terms of the, the level of accuracy, um, absolutely it's got to start with the, with the question. Um, and I always think how many answers are there to this question? If there's only two answers, a yes or a no, then all I need to, all the data I need is got to get me to make that decision. If there's 20 different outcomes, then it's going to have to be a bit, a bit more accurate. Mm. Um, and so I'm always uh, sort of banging that drum, particularly on the finance side. If we think about things like um, budgeting and forecasting, you know, we're doing our FP&A and we're thinking, you know, what level of detail or how much data do we actually need driving this model? I always try and pull it back to say, okay, is it going to change the outcome? Is it going to change the way that the, the board look at this? Is it going to change the investment decision? Or are we just being super, super accurate because we've got access to it and it's working? Hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it's a latter. So we do have to um, pull ourselves back. Um, I think it's also tempting to, to focus on data that you understand the best and also that, that looks the nicest and gives you a nice fuzzy feeling inside. I think it's, it's difficult to really focus on the stuff that you don't have access to that you know you really should be digging into, whether that's you know productivity or any kind of efficiency metric. Um, and from a, from a, from financial metrics perspective, you know, I'm, we're a, we're a B2B SaaS business. So there's a library of new metrics that we're all getting our heads around in the last five or 10 years. A lot of them are US centric. Mm -hmm. Interesting as a, as a finance professional to find that balance between business metrics that we really care about versus the traditional IFRS reporting in that sometimes there isn't a right answer uh, and you end up having to, you know, really lead the business through. What are these metrics we're going to track? What do they mean? How are we defining them as a team? And 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 go from there. Um, I think the other thing on data is that what I've really seen in the last four or five years is so many different disciplines and and industries and sectors. People are coming from and really having to get on board with the data trains, which is you can't keep your head in the sand from this any longer. Particularly if you work for a small business, you don't have access to that resource. You're going to have to pick up some key skills here, which is how do you interrogate that system that you've got? And how do you get those dashboards and get those reports running? Um, and there's a bit of a battle there, I think, sometimes between people wanting to outsource it to a, to a department and think, I should have a person for that, versus perhaps this is something that you now need to be able to do going forward.
And I just want to come back to that point that you mentioned there, because I think it's so valid and, and people could potentially get more caught up in this trap as, as AI continues to evolve. But thinking about the data that you don't have is just as important as looking at the data that, that you do have. And, and I can't remember the story. It's some sort of ancient proverb. It might be to Buddhist teachings or something like that. I, I can't remember, but the story is there's like a little teepee or a hut or something like that. Um, and there's like a little oil lamp or a fire burning or, or something like that. Um, and somebody drops something, um, and it goes outside the tent into, to the darkness. Um, and a dude in the tent looks around in the light to try and find where he's dropped something. Everybody knows it's gone outside and they're like, what, why, why are you looking in here in the light? And so, oh, cause I could, cause I can see in here, can't see out there. Yeah. And, and, and to me that, that really hit home when we look at data and, and those sorts of related concepts because it's so easy to to shine a light on the data that you do actually have versus like getting stuck in the, the darker side which is all oh, right well how do we how do we find the the data and the craps the data, the data that, that we don't have so i think as you're obviously doing there's an exercise that needs to happen to say that you know let's let's think about this critically and, and that ties to the point i was making about ai is they're the endless tools that will pull together data that you already have, like, like Tablet, for example, and, and with some of the new chat interfaces where we're seeing, you know, financial data tied with Google Analytics data and all of that sort of stuff. And it's very easy, as I say, to get caught into the trap of Q&A and your data and it coming back with a response saying, oh, based on this time, you know, based on what happened here, here, and here, I think as an AI, this could be the reason behind that. But it's only working from data that's actually got access to. And I think that's, that's what we need to latch onto as humans, at least in the short term, is to say that we still do have that ability to think critically and think as cheesy as it sounds outside of the box, you know, for, for the data that sits behind the data, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, well, boy, to, to put that in another way, you're going to get a, a limit of creativity from, from the AIs. And yeah, like you said, if, if I just give you one set of data from one source as an AI, you can only be as creative with that, that data that you, that you're shown. Whereas, you know, humans that have spent a career in, you know, a, a range of sectors and businesses will be able to bring that unknown into what's currently being done and, and add it in. Um, but I still think, you know, something like uh, an AI that can instantly understand what you're asking at. And if you give it the, you know. If you, as long as you're comfortable with what it is that you're you're looking for that's beyond um it probably will at least be able to guide you through okay here's a step of how to go and, go and get that data so i'm i'm personally a, a big uh fan of what what's possible at the moment and very excited about what's next and um, you know i've been trying to play around with chat gpt and give it as much access to some of our data as we can it's still in its in its dark room and won't won't, won't talk to anything um, but, you know, as soon as it can start to, to click into the data in a secure way, obviously, yeah. um, I think we're all excited about having that sort of virtual CFO in our pocket that we can talk to and get everything done instantaneously. Well, that, that's it. And, and so I'm not, I'm not going to plug. I mean, I'm not affiliated to, to a, you know, any of the, the guys that we've got on the, the podcast. I'm not, not getting kickback or anything like that. But the, the, the guys at Sturpy have just done their CFO chat, which ties together multiple data sources. Um, so, so that, that's an example there in terms of the quicker wins, and I was having a chat the other day, see whether I can find it because there are actually some, some pretty easy tools, 
um, whereby you can query your own data. But again, you know, I caveat that by saying that you've always got to look at the, the security policies. I think one that I saw come up was Genius Sheets. I don't know whether you've, you've seen that or not. So I think that's potentially one that people can look into. I'm not, as I say, I'm not sure how good it is, but that's one that I keep seeing come, come up again and again. And then the other one is... Genius, uh, like stats to chat or something. I'll put it in the I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but but the URL is essentially two stats dot chat. And again, I've not tried this yet. But you know, the tagline is simplify your data analysis experience with AI. Upload your data set and then chat with AI about the data. Yeah. But you know, again, what is the data? If it's just a single data source, there's as we've just been saying, there's a yeah. limit to how good it's going to be. But there's there's a couple of basic ones that people can at least start kind of. But as a non data scientist, it's just the the dream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, when, when I first found out that ChatGPT could write code, I was like, "What? <laughs> I know how to become a developer. I have tried getting into code and failed miserably. So maybe I'm just not asking the right question." Yeah, I'm still sort of hitting a few few dead ends, and sometimes I get an incomplete response, and then I have to say, "You only gave me half the code. Can I have the rest of it?" And then it gives me a different starting point than the first answer because there's not there's not 100 consistency in what it's spitting out. So then I end up with two separate pieces of code that don't work together um but it's definitely getting those yeah yeah 100 and and the auto gpt i mean we won't even get to asking questions pretty soon we'll just give it a goal and it'll do the rest for us but that's, that's a conversation for another day I think. when it starts to get really scary yeah yeah so let's 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 not go down that okay <laughs> that rabbit hole no that's that's good um so the next piece that i was really keen to talk about um is specifically what what you guys are, are doing because we don't we don't have a huge amount of guests on the show that have a footprint in HR, I guess. And and this all comes from I mean we we discussed it when I came to see you last, but there was a post to the Arctic Shores did um when ChatGPT first came out about the whole concept of using AI to write your CV for you. You know. And again, as we mentioned from the intro, Arctic Shores, you've got a proprietary, you know, Peter Tech that allows people to delve a bit deeper than just just the CV, right? You know, it's a behavioral assessment that allows you to gauge suitability of a candidate without, you know, solely relying on, on a CV. And you can speak more about that if you like. But the interesting thing for me was people have been using software to write their CV for ages, right? You know, not just when ChatGPT came out, maybe it's gone to the next level with a more intelligent algorithm, right? But people have been using software to, to, to do snazzy layouts and, and be creative, shall we say, with their, their CVs for, for quite a while. But there were, there were some quite interesting stories that you mentioned on our last call about some people from your customer base that have been in completely different industries, but have ranked quite highly high on the EQ scale. But but looking at their CV, you you probably would have just discounted them straight away. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I think people would be interested to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, before the arrival of ChatGPT, Arctic Shores, we we've been advocates for for a long time of there's lots of traditional hiring methods out there that just aren't working. Um, the 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 burning platform that we talk about is you know we've got a record number of um, job vacancies in this country, and we've also got a record number of job seekers. So there's clearly a mismatch of, of skills going on. Um, and why aren't this record number of people 
ending up in these this record number of roles. Um, and it's because the the methods that you know employers are, are traditionally relying on, such as CVs, aren't helping them distinguish who are actually these roles because it's focusing purely on experience, learned skills. But it also introduces a huge amount of bias. And this is you know generally the the story that gave birth to Arts It Shores. You look at a CV, and what you're really seeing is somebody's ability to write a CV first of all, um, experience that they had access to based on their particular place in the world. Um, but you're also picking up an awful lot of demographic data that's, that's then generating, you know, some unconscious bias in you. So particularly for entry level roles, um, and sort of, um, we work quite closely with employers that are, uh, taking on a lot of, um, uh, hires from graduates, skilled, but entry level roles. Um, and often when you're trying to sift through that many candidates at that kind of level, there isn't a lot to see on the CV anyway. Mm. So we've had a, a bit of a campaign for, for, for a while now saying scrap the CV. But what we are working with our customers on is not just a, a case of drop the CV, but actually rethink the way that you're hiring. So what Arctic Shores does is help people hire for potential. Mm. It, the assessment is a part of it, but it's also about thinking, okay, um, are we hiring people for the roles or actually should we be thinking a little bit more about what roles will suit the talent that we can that we can find? Um, because a lot of the the jobs, I don't know, ten years from now haven't been created. Mm. So there's there's a lot of um, particularly in the engineering sector, they've got such fast moving uh, technology and so much disrupt, disruption going on that they actually have to think, okay, we have to bring in some talent with some potential, and then figure out what roles we can use them use them in in the next five to ten years because we don't know what those roles are going to look like. Sure. So how do you do that? Um, where Arctic Shores comes in is, yeah, we have a, a behavioral-based assessment um, where candidates will behave naturally and we will be able to observe their behavior, uh, generate thousands of data points and, and pick out a um, multitude of, of um, traits around their personality. Um, we're also bolting on um, a more traditional aptitude test in terms of reasoning. Um, and so between that, it really helps employers uh, take forward in their hiring process candidates that perhaps they never would have, have seen. And we do have a, a case study that we'll be, we'll be bringing out shortly where we had um, a customer of ours trial a particular role completely without a CV, just on our hiring potential playbook. Um, they had two uh, roles available, two slots. They ended up with, I think, eight candidates at the final interview stage. Uh, their feedback was incredible in that they actually wanted to hire all eight of the candidates. They would have done had they had more than two two jobs available, but also of those eight, they probably wouldn't have hired any of them had they used their traditional methods. Um, and so it was just great to see that see that in action. Um, where ChatGPT comes in though is, I mean, you mentioned the CV. Yes, of course, there's been tools and and help writing those CVs um, quite a long time, but it's also quite daunting what uh, an instant AI might be able to help um, candidates do in terms of perhaps even interviews. You know. Mm. If it can listen to the interview questions and generate auto responses on your screen, again, in a virtual remote world, that's something that we've got to think very carefully of. Um, a lot of the time before we get to that CV review or the interview stays, there'll be application questions. There's just lots of different component parts about a traditional hiring process that a lot of particularly medium and large employers have that is really sort of exposed at the minute to, to that disruptive technology coming in. And so that's why we, we feel so passionately about helping people really 
turn their thinking on its head in terms of how do I find those uh, uh, those candidates that have got the potential rather than the the skills and experience that I think I'm after. I'd never thought about that. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm sure somebody's doing this already. But the example you gave there of being on an interview with having a live transcription of a and a bot being able to basically do a do like an auto prompt for you—it's terrifying, isn't it? We're not that far away, um, and so as a business, actually, we are we are looking to to partner up with with one or two uh, video interview uh, providers to figure out a, a solution for how we can we can address that. But yeah, there's um, there's a bit of a technological war going on really on on, on either side in terms of the, the more tools and, and technology that employers can adapt to deal with with the higher volume of applicants. But at the same time, applicants are also getting their their hand on tech that helps them you know apply for many many more roles in in, in a more impressive way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Let, let's say that I'm I'm into for Arctic Shores, right? Yeah, and we're on a call now, and and I've got my chat GPT equivalent that's given me answers with your experience you would be able to tell whether i was reading from an also prompt or not right so, so i think there's 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 some things that, yeah, i think there's some things that we don't need to be too that shape about the the the, the, the um the cv writing and the interview questions all that sort of stuff if it's offline then i totally get how you know basically they've got access to information worded in a way that whatever they like right but I think, you know, we need to be confident in the fact that we can smell a rat sometimes, maybe. And, and I appreciate things aren't getting smarter, but I think it is still going to be a while before we get to the point where a candidate can convincingly read off an auto prompt based on a live set of questions. Maybe, maybe that's me just being too optimistic, though. No, I think I, th- I think right now you're probably right. It's going to be pretty rare. Uh, and if you did find a candidate, I think that could successfully do that, it's probably a sign that you might want to hire them and find them a job. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even just, I think just a couple of months ago, I'd seen some software already that can instantaneously alter your eyes. So you can be looking over here, but to the camera, it appears live as though you're staring oh. straight at the camera stream. Quite useful for podcasters at the moment, but got obvious implications there so uh, you know step by step i think we'll get there fairly fairly quickly I'm trying to remember what the name of it is um i, I don't think i want to know that sounds creepy it looks a little bit odd right now but pretty soon you will be able to tell the difference okay it comes into that deep fake territory doesn't it yeah so yeah it, it is scary and you know i, I think I, i'm hoping we don't get to a point where our default is just hyper vigilant and, 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 you know, we, a lot of people, and, and I kind of fall into this, this category from a few years ago, right? I've always been quite gullible. Like I, I, I want to believe something, you know, that's my default. My default is to believe something rather than reject it. And I don't think I'm alone. So, so I think for people like me, it is going to be a bit of a learning curve because as more and more of this deep fakes, you know, artificial stuff comes along. I mean, I think I'm going to struggle to to spot it at least initially before I get into like a, a rhythm of really analysing stuff. I, I don't know, don't know about you, but yeah, I think I'm going to struggle a bit. Well, I'm probably the opposite. I uh, <laughs> I tend to not believe anything, and I need to be convinced of of anything pretty much. I think it it sort of serves me well in my my role to be able to question everything and, yeah. and need convincing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that you know to some degree it might actually. You know, it might encourage us to perhaps potentially drop a few bits of 
technology. So for example, you know, does the interview now need to actually be in person? Okay, well, there might be a cost associated to doing that and getting people together in person, but then suddenly you've found a way around this this tech issue. So I feel like we may find that, you know, there might be a balance to be to be found between using tech and actually going to, to some more uh traditional traditional approaches. Let's see. Oh will you go back to just hiring in Manchester? <laughs> I think it's a big open topic at the minute, isn't it? Really, you know, a lot of lot of firms, uh, particularly you know tech startups, went you know remote first. Saw a lot of them incorporate in the last few years, and just from day one, post COVID, just said you know we're fully remote. And um, and there's lots, obviously, lots of different use cases. I think a lot of businesses will will be really looking at this at the moment, looking at all that data that's accumulated, and said, you know, what are the pros and cons, and 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 start to balance those out, um, because. You know, I'm sure a lot of lot of people speak a lot better than I do that, you know, we are humans and we do crave physical interaction with each other and we are better in groups. That's how we evolve. Um so yeah, for me, I think maybe the pendulum will swing a little bit towards, you know, getting back together a bit more in person and finding a way to to find that happy medium really. Yeah. It is difficult though, because I mean, t- talent is still an issue. You know, you, you can be the, the best company in the world with the best benefits in the world, but you are still going to lose some employees for the next best, you know, there, there'll always be a faster growing company. There'll always be a, you know, a bigger salary. So you just got to accept that, you know, you're not going to always, you know, I don't think win, win an employee is the right word. You, you're not always going to have a successful, you know, you're not always going to have a job offer that's accepted, I guess is, is what I'm getting to there. And like you say, we're quite keen to have people in face to face for at least the later stage of the interview, even though the, the first, the first bits are done remotely. Right. And, um, but it is interesting to see different personality types and, and we've had, uh, one or two recently whereby people have been rejecting higher salaries if they can work completely from home. Which, which I kind of get, you know, and, and, and I, and I, I get your point there about us being social animals as well, but, but some people, you know, they do just want to sit at home with their dog, you know, and they will make life decisions based on that. And I, and I don't know whether there's a right or wrong behind that, but yeah, I suppose providing they can get that social interaction that they crave via, you know, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it happens to be. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the future, isn't it? Maybe, well, again, we'll, we'll have to see, I mean, come back to the point that we mentioned there about, um, you know, that, that huddle process, right? You know, are we going to get to the point where, you know, you jack into to the matrix almost and you go to your office and your visor comes down and you've got like a 360 view and you've got your huddle on the right, with your, your colleagues over there, you can shout to, and then you've got your desktops on the, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see where it goes, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's like when I think about the AI piece, the, the technology is moving at sort of lightning pace, but I think, you know, as people, we are quite slow often to adopt some of this and, and we do, you know, take our time getting things, getting things adopted. Um, I remember putting on a VR headset for the first time ever, I don't know, five years ago and then saying, that's it. Now that's just how everything is going to be. And five years later, you know, we're not really anywhere close to, to mass adoption. Um, and I think it's similar with, with AI, you know, I think people are going to have that nervousness of, oh my God, the robots are coming. What are we going to do 20 years from now? I think initially focus is really going to be, okay, how can this just be a, be a, an assistant to me 
um, for now. So I think we, we as, as, a, as a society, have a way of slowing down uh, adoption, even though the, the tech and I'm sure the vendors are ready to just disrupt the earth tomorrow. Um, but um, in terms of the, the, the work-life balance point you made, um, I think it's been some strange times in the last two or three years. Um, and, you know, we, we go through economic cycles and I think the jury's probably still out as to whether can all, can all the, the, the numbers add up with, with having people have that choice of, okay, yeah, take a lower salary at home. It's all got to, you know, the circle's got to be, got to be completed really. And it's got, it's got to make sense in the long run. We just not really had enough time. I don't think to, to figure that out. Um, but it's just great that we've all got options and that there's various different ways of doing things. And, you know, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. It was put your suits on and into the office you go and you've got no choice. And I think it, it probably opens up way more benefits than, than the, the, the issues it would cause. Yeah. We would, and it's a, it's a side note, but you talk put your suit on there. Like when, when I first started working remotely, I'd still put on my smart smart clothes even to go into my home office because that's what then drew the distinction between i'm in work mode and i'm in personal mode but now i'm speaking to to customers and colleagues and there's been a definite shift in the the workplace attire and and it's how you manage that as well because you know is it one set of rules for people working remotely to people coming into the office because if you're having customers come into the office you know, the office needs to be smart people need to be presentable so so where are the lines and there's no right or wrong answer to this but it doesn't make things any easier does it no i mean i think before sort of covid there was a there was a a, a trend towards a bit more of a you know dress for your day sort of style which is okay if you're going to be meeting a meeting a client perhaps then maybe you go a bit smarter but generally we were you know, offices were becoming much more open plan and a bit more informal. Um, but it was interesting the, the 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 transition that you mentioned, which is you know we 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 have a lot of um, psychologists and we've you know got a lot of science arts issues and we're always interested in in the psychology piece. And there's been a lot of I think thought pieces on you know the commute to work can be a psychological barrier that separates you from from your job and helps you manage with that, that work-life balance, you know, because the, the, the danger is that, you know, some of us are fortunate to have our own home offices. You're just a few steps away from your home life. And so psychologically, are you actually switching off and, and making that distinction? And what are the long-term, uh, risks and, and patients of that? Again, still quite early and time will tell, but it's the, I'm, I'm starting personally to go back into the office a little bit more often. And I do sort of get that sense of. I actually quite like sitting on the train and just something in my brain is probably switching from, from A to B and, and vice versa when I go home. So yeah, I think it's just picking the, the, the best bits of, of each really and finding a way to make it work. Yes, it is moderation and, and, you know, by commute, maybe once or twice a week, you know, depending on traffic, that could be three hours. It could be six hours. You, you never know. Right. And it's, it's nice to listen to your podcast and as you say, get that segmentation of this is the, the clear balance and. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's nice to have a home office. Yeah, it's, it's the boundaries that's the difficult piece. And, and you, you've got twins, right? You know? Yes, I've got twins, three-year-old boys. So, um, you know, sometimes they'll tell me when it's time to make that transition yeah. to, to bang, dad. Banging on the door, come down, yeah. yeah. A, a 10 months and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I can hear him screaming now. The microphone's good. It's good at um, getting rid of the background noise. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice, but at the same time, it's... Sometimes it would be nice if you just had a 
nice little office that was a five minute walk up the road and then you know that's that and you can you can segment the two i know a lot of people that built their businesses around finding an office that's close to home so that they get the best of both worlds maybe one day yeah yeah i think maybe that balance might be something around that you know local satellite offices that have just about got that got that bit of distance but aren't you know in the big city with the with the commute and the cost maybe yeah it's interesting what you said before about the personality types though because again it, you know it's completely close to what we do which is perhaps now you start when you're looking for talent think okay well this is our way of working now which of these candidates that are coming to us are more suited to that style mm. are these the type of people that need that that connection and benefit from or are they going to be able to be completely independent at home these aren't the sort of questions we used to ask five ten years ago and so you know they're, they're becoming more and more important so how a you know how a uh, company is going to be able to find that 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 answer? Well, so we can help. Yeah, it's, it is yeah. shameless plug. Yeah, serious plug. Yes, it comes down to that cultural fit, doesn't it? But I suppose it's, that's one of the the more difficult aspects to quantify. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've done it in the past. You know, we we have a way of measuring cultural fit with our with our clients. They have specific criteria and traits that they look for that represent the 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 fit and the values of that business so it's something that we've definitely done um we we also like the idea though of not just cultural fit but also cultural ad because it's great hiring people that are just like you but you're going to sort of lose that diversity of thought and actually what you might want to look for is people that aren't you know in in what you think is your cultural you know style you actually need people who can bring that diversity um so i think there's lots of new new interesting ways of, of thinking about that yeah so the takeaway for everybody listening is um, don't just rely on your CV. If preferable, obviously speak to Arctic Shore, but, you know, try and try building more of those, I suppose, behavioral type characteristics, especially for, for the junior guys, right? So that's all good. So I appreciate we've gone a, got a bit of a cray, but have you got another sort of five, five, ten minutes? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. So two, two questions then, and one does relate more specifically to, to tech. And, and I know you and I have had some, some conversations around this, but you've, you've managed to keep your team quite lean whilst being quite shrewd and savvy with the tech that you use. And you've gone more, more down the sort of best breed rather than an all encompassing end to end, right? Sorry, I've got the, um, the invader that I said the alarm I call. might get later. It's going to have to be a lock on the door as the next Amazon purchase. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when I when I joined Artsy Shores, the finance team was two people. Um, you know, we, we're now four to five times bigger in revenue. Same same team size in finance. So, how do we do that? Well, like any startup, you know, in the early days, so much of the stuff was manual or Excel based. So it was pretty obvious early on as we grew at the the rate we were growing, we need to get things in order. Um, option A is hire more people. Option B is find some clever tech that can that can avoid that. Um, I mean, I've, I've I've managed bigger teams in the past. Um, don't see any you know issue with it at a larger business, but for a small, fast-growing startup, um, I think it just um, limits your your options moving forward. Um, whereas with a bit of clever tech, you can always you know turn it off and go and switch it out for something else. Um, because once you've, you know, once you've built a team, you know, it's it, the bigger it gets, the harder it can be for it to, for it to adapt. 
Um, but also, you know, depending on the business that, that you're at, you know, we, we, we've, we're venture backed, but we've always had to be very savvy with how we invest our, our money. And, you know, we, we're going to, we're going to grow in those areas that are going to really scale the business. And often like, you know, like a lot of, uh, back office functions, your finance and your HR, you've really got to sometimes work within a, within a, a thick budget. So it's always about thinking, okay, value for money. Um, and every, every time you look at the market, there's a new solution out there that, that might potentially improve or assist or even replace a traditional finance role. Um, so, you know, we, as, as I mentioned, we, you know, we're a B2B SaaS business, so we're based on subscription. So we previously might have had five or six of our first customers managing their subscription on Excel. It's just not possible with, you know, more than a hundred customers at play. So we have to bring in a subscription management tool. Um, the team grows, so then suddenly you can't keep all of your personnel records and HR documents on G Drive anymore. You've got to get it into a system, otherwise, how on earth are you going to see all that data? Um, and so, it, uh, so I, how I started it was um, when, when making those first couple of early finance hires, was making sure that the people joining the team had that same mindset, which is, um, I don't really want to work hard through this problem. I'd rather work smarter, maybe, maybe use some clever tech to help me, um, rather than have anybody come in who thinks, you know, I want to build a finance team so that I feel like I'm important and, and have people to boss around. Um, we really just want to focus on, okay, what are the problems this business is going to face as it scales and how can we help solve them? Um, so I think that that served us well, particularly in finance, also great to be able to set the example to other teams to say. The answer isn't always, you know, bums on seats and um, there's other ways to think about it. You know, one, one thing I always like to, to, to bring home to people is if you make that, that permanent hire, you've got to think, okay, what's the average salary? Um, what's the average, you know, life cycle that employees spend at our business? Okay. We'll multiply one by the other. You could potentially be making a quarter of a million pound decision or, or more potentially. So with that in mind, is there another way of doing it? Could it be a fixed term hire or could it be some tech? Could it be something that you could get on a, on a monthly basis? And I think that's particularly important for, particularly for, for fast growing and um, small businesses where, you know, they're, they're not sat on a, on a pot of gold to suddenly just make all these, these hires. So that's always the, the, the view that we've had, particularly in the finance team. Um, but it's also acknowledging that eventually you are going to get to that point where you're going to need some brains behind all these tools um, because they're not all completely flawless and, and magical. They do need some interrogation. Um, and what we're also very conscious of is um, making sure that as we scale as a business and as we start to, you know, automate more and more, we don't go too far with it. Mm. So we're in, as I mentioned, in sort of medium to large enterprise space. So our ARR per, per, per customers uh, in, in five figures and plus. So we're not a very, very high volume, low value um, subscription-based business. We're not doing sort of 20, $30 a month on a credit card sort of thing. Mm. So when it comes to some of those really important business processes, you know, um, order to cash, we've really got to balance out. There's some really important stuff here that's actually just worth the time of a human who knows what they're doing, getting it right, rather than spending their life trying to um, understand why the, the software has, has, has got all these glitches. So. It's finding that balance between making sure that you're ready for scale, but you don't take it too far that you end up over automating and spending your life trying to tinker with the machine, figuring out why it's not working. Yeah. It, and it's, it's a question because, you know, I, I, I often refer to it as the, you know, the, the patchwork quilt approach, because yes, you've got sort of the, 
I guess the best of the best for a specific function, right? But at some point, there's going to be have, have to be a consideration if they flow between departments of how these systems talk to each other. Not all systems need to integrate though. You know, if, if you can dump out data into something like you said, Snowflake or, or, a, or a BI tool like that, then, you know, the systems don't need to talk to each other if you're just combining data from those systems in a platform, but some do need to talk. So does that come into your consideration when you're going to market for, for these best of breed tools? Is there like a, a foundation that says at the very least they've got to, they've got to integrate out the box, for example? I think right now, yes. And in the last couple of years, definitely there's certain tools that you'll already have that teams are embedded with and, and like, and can't move away from. And so that at the moment there might be, there's just some must have integrations. I mean, we, as I mentioned, we brought in a subscription management tool. Well, it had to talk to our accounts ledger. It had to talk to our CRM. And if it didn't have an out the box, um, integration ready to go, it kind of wasn't going to be able to do its job. We would have just been constantly having to upload data into it every day. So at the minute, yeah, I think we're still in that space where we do need that, that easy to use, um, out the box integration, but as we move forward, you know, it's going to be much easier with, with AI tools or, you know, you've got things like your Zapier that can start to actually help you do some no code, uh, building where you can actually get these things to talk to each other, even if the, the vendors themselves never really, uh, envisioned the, the integration and, you know, the chat based AIs are just make that even easier. So I'd say right now, yes, but I think that's, that's not going to be the case for, for, for much longer. Um, but again, the temptation is also potentially going to be to try and integrate everything yeah. and just think, well, let's just get every single piece of, of data and all these systems all talking to each other. And you're not really thinking about why, what, what, what value is there to get that system to receive data from there? Because you can potentially just be, every time you connect two systems and you're doing a, doing a push can also potentially just be duplicating your data because then you've got to store it in another, another place. So you can end up with just custom fields replicated in all these different systems. And now you've got 18 different places to find the same answer to the question. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the strategy and the, the, the long-term thinking around where do we want to go with this data is more important than, than what can actually connect today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's the reason that I asked the question is because you know, when I'm, when I'm going through an, an assessment process or, you know, looking for, for tools, you know, for me or, or the company or whatever is the, the first question is, will they natively integrate, you know, so, so has that tool already got a proven integration directly with that other application? So, so that's, that's first for me. And that's the big tick if it, if it does it right, you know, because it's nice to, to know that at least somebody's already gone through the hard work, right? But the second question is then, is there a middleware? that we can use, you know, and that's when we are into to Zapier territory, which, which scares people a little bit. And, and, and I agree because anywhere where there's a middleware, you can't say hundred percent, that's going to be a really good integration, but I think it is getting better coming back to your point there. Zapier obviously have now started to build chat into their platform. So it's getting to the point where you can say, oh, I've got this application and this application, what fields do I need to connect to each other? And then it will, it will start doing the mappings for you. And immediately we're then moving away from this, you know, manual, right? Well, here's the trigger points that you have in this system and here's the acceptable, you know, receipt points in the other system. You're going to have to find a way to, to match that. But it's all on you if you get it wrong, but there's a Zapier expert that you can pay a ton for if you want to pay us to do it, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping we move a little bit away from this. But as you say, it's all about making sure that there, there is a reason for that. And, and coming back to your point about 
duplicate data, you know, yes, wholeheartedly agree that there are some data points where you need to have a master record for certain types of data. Yeah. So for stuff like inventory, customers or suppliers, there needs to be a single source of the truth. But to get bent out of shape to the point where you're over-engineering something, supplier say, well, if we do that, we might end up with a duplicate here. Like duplicating a document once in a thousand runs isn't, you know, enough to get banner out of shape. Well, you know, so, so I think there's, there's tolerances that we need to bear in mind when we're setting these things up, right? You know, just because something isn't perfect doesn't necessarily mean that it's a no-go. Likewise, there's a very big difference between something that isn't perfect and something that isn't perfect and also won't scale. And I think that's the bigger question. You don't want to develop something that's imperfect that you're then going to have to re-engineer in six months time. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, what we've sometimes been guilty of, and I'm sure a lot of people do is, um, when you, you know, live in a world where you're just using so many of these SaaS tools as a small business, you know, you're not going to go and get yourself any bespoke software. So you're doing it all based on a a tech stack of of cloud-based SaaS software is to try and put your own stamp on it and try and customize it to reflect you as a business. Um, but you might find two or three years down the line, if you need to migrate or if you do need to integrate. Actually, we've created all of this, this custom, these custom fields, this custom data, and we thought it was great at the time, but now we've just created a whole load of work for ourselves. And so one of the, the, the things we try and encourage, um, in, on the finance side is try as much as we can to actually use these tools as they were designed, mm. um, because the functionality is all based around the data that it's expecting the yeah. data that you're just feeding to it. Well, yeah. Um, and then it just come back to that point about the integrations is see a huge difference between two systems that are integrated that connect to workflow versus two systems that are just sending data to each other for the sake of it. Um, sometimes that second one can be because the user of one platform just wants to be able to see everything. Yeah. doesn't really want to go over here and log into the second system. Yeah. Probably a, a bit more of a, a sophisticated uh, answer to that than just APIing data back and forth just so it lives everywhere. Yeah. And, and I think... It's always worth having a bit of an audit of the tools that you are using before you obviously invest in new ones as well, because, and I, I use a dead simple example, which is um, previously I'd use Evernote for my notes or OneNote or whatever I happened to be preferred at the time. And then I'd have Trello to do the, the Kanban, you know, what stage of progress are my tasks in? But then I moved over to Notion, again, mentioning Notion again, but that meant that I could have both a task list with Kanban and, and also a notebook. So I've basically then squashed, you know, two or three apps into one. Right? So I think instead of this additive mentality that we kind of get into, it's always worth going out and saying, right, well, you know, there maybe is crossover between these two, you know, is there a new tool now that's able to facilitate both of those so that we can, you know, it might just, it not, might not be a reducing spend, right? That might not be the exercise. It might just be a reduction in, compl- in complexity that we're looking for. You know, so, so I think it's well worth going through that exercise every now and, now and then as well. I mean, you know, a lot of the, the, the good, uh, successful SaaS businesses that you just mentioned there, you know, they focus very much on a problem that exists at the time that they, they started yeah. and they solved that problem very well. I think it was very difficult for them, a little bit similar to the point you made earlier on about the data that you can't see, yeah. which is there's another problem that's created that's outside of your tool that your customers are experiencing. And it's not what your tool does. It's the interaction with another one. Yeah. Now there's a whole secondary layer of, of problem. So can you, can you solve that together? Well, if it's two separate, uh, companies, often that's quite laborious and neither party wants to pay for it and it takes time. 
if you Google, then you can actually just quickly switch something on and it's all, all singing and all dancing. Cause you know, your, your Evernote or now your notions reminds me of suddenly seeing there was something called Google keep. Oh, well now I can just send notes into it and it can connect into my calendar invites and my emails. And isn't this lovely? So there's definitely a difference between the, the big players who can really iterate quickly and, uh, versus the, the scrappy startups that are trying to keep up because we're now into that phase now where it's all about the connectivity. Yeah. rather than just the individual problems. 100%. And, and I do, I mean, because there, there has been some fear in the marketplace now, Microsoft have basically um, announced their, their Notion competitor. So, so they're, they're basically now to the point where they can get rid of a lot of the startup market because they've got more developers, they've got more budget and so on and so forth. But Notion does have a bit of a cold following, so I, I, th I think it will be okay. And especially some of the stuff that people are doing with APIs now. And coming back to the point about transcription that you mentioned earlier, and I'm still yet to do it, but I'm going to do it. There's a dude there and get his newsletter, and I'll put it in show notes because I can't remember. But essentially, he's using the Whisper API, which is open to, to anyone. It's, it's cheap as chips. It's like 0.0 pence for however many minutes of transcription. So it's not going to break the bank. But he's essentially set up a workflow so that he can drop an audio recording that he gets on his phone. He drops it into Dropbox um, and then essentially he uses a platform that ties Dropbox to Notion and using ChatGPT in the middle, it takes the transcript, ChatGPT asks the questions like, you know, pull out the highlights, do all of that sort of stuff, and then it automatically drops it into a new Notion database. So he's essentially got a, a virtual assistant for his voice notes that not just transcribes it, then also pulls out all of the relevant points from it. I'll put that in the show notes as well, because I think, you know, coming back to the easy wins, that's the sort of stuff that I'm seeing the real value in with, with AI at the moment, as opposed to, you know, the whole reinventing the world type stuff. So, but. yeah, it's amazing how fast it, it, it evolves and to keep up. Yeah. yeah, all good. So the last question, Craig, and, and then I'll let you know, it's a question that I always ask on, on these shows. And, and we've talked about a couple already, um, you know, Slack, some of the other tools that you use. I would ask whether there's a gadget or, or a tool, and it could be a phone app, you know, it could be a piece of software that you use that you, you couldn't live without. And, and answers we've had could be something as simple as, you know, I couldn't live without Audible on my commute to work. And we had one that was like an audio order and a video editing tool. We've had GIF creators, we've had all sorts. So anything that comes to mind. Hmm. Um, I think I'm just going to have to be boring and say Slack, um, right. because it's just so damn good at what it does. Um, I can be here on my laptop. It can help me just jump on instant video calls with people, but then I can also be sat in front of the TV with a beer. And, you know, if my CEO decides to send me a quick instant message, it's just there. It's just so easy to get it responded to. Um, and as, as I said at the start, it's just one of those things where now that I'm used to it, I just can't see myself working in a business that, that doesn't have it or something pretty yeah. much identical to it. So yeah, that's right. And of course, not the most exciting answer, but yeah, yeah. Your, your default response for any boss messages you when you're having a beer is a picture back to the boss of said beer saying, why are you messaging me when I'm drinking? <laughs> I like to think my gishy game is pretty strong because there's a great little, little widget in Slack that you can just talk to each other through gifts. So, you know, yeah, I'm getting there, but I'm probably... It's sounding older than uh, than I am. It's a new language, isn't it, GIFs? And then obviously there'll be AI generated soon, so you'll you'll be able to send GIFs of your actual self doing actual things. I've no I've no doubt about that. If, you, if people aren't doing that already, of course. 
Yeah, I actually think uh, gifts are undervalued because you know the reason I think they're so popular is they can get across that sentiment or that that tone that you're trying to get at when just words is just open to too much misinterpretation. You know, the gift represents what it is you're actually trying to to convey in terms of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the challenges with all this remote work is, especially with you know with emails, is you don't want people to take it the wrong way. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually a big believer in them. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the sigh emoji face is not the same as somebody like physically dropping to them. Yeah, I get that. I, I totally get that. I, I remember when um, I think it was first on 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 iPhone. It's called like my emoji or something like that. Do you remember? You take a picture of your face and it basically makes an emoji out of your face. Yeah. I think the the next wave of that is maybe a my emoji like GIF slash virtual avatar of yourself type approach, whereby you can essentially type in your GIF criteria and it will place you in the GIF. Mm. We'll have to see it. Well, I'm not sure that sort of myself would be would be <laughs> doing that on a daily basis, but you know, we've got generations of young people coming through that are so comfortable with cameras in their face and, you know, self-recording themselves with content that, you know, I'm sure it won't be, won't be long before that's just normal. Not too long. I kids today, eh? That's, that's, that's speaking uh, of which. It's... All right, mate, I'll let you get off. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Really appreciate Thank it. you very much. Yeah, really enjoyed it. All right, mate. Well, Speak well, soon. Have a catch up soon. See you in a bit. Cheers. Bye-bye.